Here we go. You guys ready? <laughs> Exodus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus, second book in the Bible, The Way Out, subtitle of this series. I'm excited that you're here. It's uh, first weekend of the year. We're starting a brand new teaching series. And you can turn to Exodus chapter 1. We'll be looking at that whole chapter, chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 22. Blessing in bitter times is the title of this weekend's message. Also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Let me give you a brief a kind of a scenario, kind of brief summary of what the whole book is about. And then we'll dive into this, uh, this chapter here. Take a look at your notes. Exodus means the way out. That's why we titled the, the subtitle that. Genesis is the book of beginnings. In Exodus... Exodus is the book of redemption, and redemption means, to redeem means to set free. The book is all about being set free. It's all about redemption. It's a beautiful book. It's an amazing book. Exodus describes Israel's bondage in Egypt and the wonderful deliverance that God gave them. And this is what I love uh, probably most about it. It presents many pictures of our salvation through Christ. We're going to get a, a lot of glimpses, a lot of pictures of our Savior Jesus. Now, uh, Hold your place there, first chapter of Exodus, and turn to Exodus chapter 6, if you would please. I'm going to give you two verses that are really the summary of this whole book. You might want to underline these. So it kind of gives us just a summary statement of what this whole book is about. Exodus chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Let me read it here. I will take you to be my people. This is God speaking to us. He's speaking to the, the Israelites, those folks, but these words are also true for us. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Anytime the Bible uses the word Lord, Lord your God, it's really speaking of his personal name, Yahweh. So we're going to know him intimately and personally. And so, and you shall know, you shall know, not just know about God, but experience God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And so, uh, so here's kind of a summary statement of the whole book. We'll keep coming back to this from time to time. And uh, it's this, God provides the way out from things that enslave our Egypt and leads us into on intimacy with him, our promised land. That's the summary of the whole book. And by the way, uh, I won't ask for a show of hands how many went to uh, the Bible Project this last week and downloaded the message and listened to that message as it related to Exodus, because I don't want to be disappointed. But I would encourage you to do that anyway. Okay, I, I would encourage you to do that, and in fact, we'll probably show it here from time to time, and it gives you a good summary of the book of Exodus. By the way, if you want a good summary of each book of the Bible, go to the Bible Project, kind of work through that. It's, it's fabulous. It's absolutely, uh, really very helpful uh, for your understanding of the Scripture. So I would encourage you to do that. And you're going to see that how it's summarized really pretty much like this. God provides the way out from things that enslave our Egypt and leads us into awe and intimacy with Him, our promised land. Here, here's what we need to understand before we move on. No person or problem is ever is ever hopeless considering God's redeeming and restoring grace. So if you ever look at any particular person or a problem or even your own personal situation or your own person and you think, ah, oh, I give up, I, it's hopeless. You're not considering God's redeeming, restoring grace. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. He rescues us. He loves us. He provides a way out from the things that enslave our Egypt and leads us into awe and intimacy with him, our promised land. He draws us out, Exodus chapters 1 through 18, to draw us into intimacy with him, chapters 19 through 40. That's the, the summary of, of what this book is about. Also, take a look at this on your notes. So let me give you some kind of the key theme verses, or not verses, but uh, words that would help us to understand Exodus. Exodus is a, is a book about liberation. It's there on your notes. Liberation, salvation from the things that enslave. Now, if you don't think that you're enslaved, you're in denial, okay? Because we all struggle with things in our life. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Everybody in here, everybody out there 
has hurts, habits, and hang-ups. The Bible actually says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we claim to be without hurts, habits, and hang-ups, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're in denial. So, so if you don't think you have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, you're not grappling with anything currently, maybe it's on the shelf for a while, but, but, but maybe you're just totally out of touch with any of that, all I need to do is ask those that are closest to you, and they'll tell me what you've got going on that's messed up in your life. Just ask those that are closest to you. They've got probably a whole list. They've just been waiting for the opportunity to be able to share those things with you. And now this gives them the opportunity to do that. And so we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We're all grappling with junk in our life. That's, that's, that's life. That's life in a fallen world. That's life being sinners in a fallen world. But this book is about redemption. He redeems us. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I love it. It's good stuff. So it's, it's a book about liberation, salvation from the things that enslave us. And then it's a book about uh, sacrifice. These are the key themes throughout the book that we'll see. It's about sacrifice. Sacrifice is the means of our liberation. Exodus 12 is the Passover. How many are familiar with what we, what I, when I say Passover, you guys know the practice of the Passover, the Jews will practice that, what that means, what that reflects. What that means is that it's a reflection of the cross and how God redeemed us. And we'll eventually get there in this study. And so Exodus is a book about liberation, about sacrifice, but it's also about God's presence. God's presence is the prize of our liberation. I love Exodus 33. It's probably one of my favorite chapters, and it's uh, Exodus 33 is where Moses cries out, show us your glory. And what's fascinating about this is that um, he's basically saying to God, God, if you don't show us your glory, if we don't have your presence, uh, we're not going, we don't want to go into the promised land. We would rather wander around in the wilderness uh, with your presence, with your glory, than to go into the promised land without it. Shows you how important God's glory and presence is. And, uh, and so that's, that's his presence, so liberation, sacrifice, God's presence. Exodus is a book about worship, enjoying God's greatness and goodness nurtures our liberation. It also nurtures our intimacy with him. And so he's setting them free from their enslavement so that they can serve God, so that they can worship God and that's what worship, worship is enjoying intimacy with God, his greatness and goodness, and it nurtures our liberation. And then, of course, holiness, it's a book about holiness. Living out our faith daily is evidence of our liberation. Exodus 20, anybody know what Exodus 20 is about? The Ten Commandments. Now you know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, it's about the Ten Commandments. And so as we get there, we're going to want to live out the Ten Commandments in direct proportion to our covenant relationship and his covenant love towards us. Holiness is being so satisfied in God that sin loses its appeal. You're so captivated by who, who God is and what he's done uh, for you through his son Jesus that you want to live for his honor and glory and then, of course, uh, there's also another theme is mission. So you got liberation, sacrifice, God's presence, worship, holiness, and then mission, proclaiming and displaying God's character and liberation to the world. That's just a quick summary of what the book is about. We'll be bringing that back to your attention from time to time so that you can keep the big picture in mind because we tend to lose the forest for the trees as we work through books of the Bible, so we'll keep coming back to that. But let me give you chapter one thesis, the summary of it. It should be there on your notes. God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. Therefore, believe the promise keeper to keep hope alive. That's really what that first chapter is all about in Exodus. So there's three key words, blessing, bitter times, believe. God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. Therefore, believe the promise keeper to keep hope alive. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text and continue to unpack these notes. So God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. God, there are times that you, your presence just overwhelms us. We know that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We not only love your presence, we love your word. Help us to treasure your scriptures as our most precious possession, receiving what it says by faith, storing it in our hearts and living it in our lives. 
Make us attentive students and devoted servants of your perfect word in Jesus' beautiful and holy name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So here we go. So let me, a little background as we continue, uh, as we, this storyline is is continuing on from Genesis into Exodus. So uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, of course. Exodus picks up the storyline from the previous book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis ends... So Genesis ends with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading a large group of 70 people down to Egypt. And Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, has been elevated to second in command over Egypt and had, has saved his whole family from famine. You guys familiar with the story? It's a, it's a wonderful story, unbelievable story. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a sickening story in some regards when you look at the sibling rivalry between Joseph and his brothers. You know, he's, he's favored by his dad, kind of rubs it in their noses. They don't like it. So uh, it's the, really the epitome of sibling rivalry and also abuse within a home. And, uh, and so what do they do? They, they sell him into slavery. And so what's fascinating about this story is that how Joseph goes from the pit to prison and then to the palace, second in command in all of Egypt. <laughs> How does that happen? The providential hand of God. We're going to talk more about that next weekend, but it's just, it's, it's spectacular what happens. And so he's second in command and the whole region goes into a famine and lo and behold, guess who shows up to Egypt? Those crazy brothers that sold him into slavery and so they have a little interaction there. It's really fun to kind of read and watch, but he basically saves them and preserves their lives because he's second in command, saves all of Egypt. And so the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, offers uh, his family to live there in Egypt as a safe haven. And then eventually Jacob, Joseph, and all of his brothers die there in Egypt. 400 years pass, and this is where the story of the Exodus begins. And we begin reading chapter one, verse one. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were how many? How many is that? Seventy persons. Say that again. How many? Seventy. Remember that. Remember that, 70 persons, they go into Egypt with 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. Here's a key verse you might want to underline, really speaking of God's blessing. It's verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, pretty emphatic. You see the words and the language, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, what's fascinating about this is that when God finally draws them out of Egypt, they will leave with approximately, any wild guess out there how many they will leave Egypt with? Two million. Close to two million. Some estimate two million. And we know that based on Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, because it says 600,000 men besides women and children. So how many did they come into Egypt with? 70. 70. How many are they leaving with? About two million. Woo! That's crazy blessing. That's That's why that verse is so significant. God has blessed them. And then verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Now, let's stop there just for a minute. Christians, don't Don't be surprised if those unbelievers closest to you, your family, friends, co-workers, despise you and are intimidated by your God-given fruitfulness and fulfillment in life. Don't be surprised by that. I have people all the time come up to me and say, man, I didn't even do anything to my family. They despise me. They hate me. Well, don't be surprised by that. That's what's happening to them. They didn't do anything to deserve this. But they're being intimidated, they're threatened by by the fruitfulness and the fulfillment that they're finding in life because, because they're God's people. So don't be taken off guard when you see that happen in your life. Verse 11, 
Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But another key verse, this would be a verse that you'd really want to underline, maybe a couple times. Here we go, verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, (laughs) this is good, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. Okay, did you hear that? The more the Egyptians begin to come on them and kind of come after them and oppress them, the more they were blessed. So think about this just for a minute. What are, you, what are you going through? What are you struggling with? What are your struggles in your life? It's almost like bring it on because the more I experience of the oppression from this world and my adversary and all the junk that's in my life or my family or friends or whoever, wherever, the more you will be blessed. Listen, I mean, it just makes sense. Just makes if God is for us, who can be against us? Because when they're messing with us, they're messing with God's child, God's kid. That's that's the idea there. Let me, let me read it again. Just I, I want to make sure you guys get this. Got to got to get it into your head. I mean, it's it's crazy. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. How's that happen? How does that happen? Because God's for them. So if God's for you. I mean, you can face anything. If God is for you, if God is for you, he's for you, by the way. If you've put your faith in Christ, he's for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. That's amazing. You can't lose. Listen, listen, you can't, you can't lose. If God's for you, I don't care how dark and difficult it gets in how much despair you might be experiencing in your life. You can't lose. If God is for you, who can be against you? Bring it on. It doesn't matter. He's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. That's what that verse is saying. That's so important that God made sure to write that down in his word so that we could come back to it regularly and be reminded of that when the oppression and the darkness is creeping into our lives. Even more so, will God continue to be with us and bless us and take care of us? Okay, enough said. I could preach a whole message on that one right there, okay? And so, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. That's the second part of verse 12, verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And I want you to notice the redundancy here in the text in verse 14. And made their lives bitter. So the Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field So you got service, you got work, and then in all their work, there it is again, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So it's like three times the same word in the Hebrew is really this, they enslaved them, they enslaved them, they enslaved them. It was difficult, it was hard, it was miserable, it was painful. That's the point. And yet God continues to bless them in the midst of that. God, there's blessing but it's not working. It's not working in the sense it's from, from Pharaoh. He, he's trying to oppress them and uh, sideline them and keep them from growing, but it's not working. So then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, and when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. Oh, I love this. This story is so good. Listen to what happens here. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I love those gals. Oh my goodness, they're, they're a whole lot like, or maybe a, whole, a lot of, there's a lot of DB gals that are like these gals. There are. I mean, I love this. I love this. These, these gals here are not intimidated by anything. They are not afraid to stand up for what is right because they live for an audience of one. They live for God and him alone. Yeah. This is way too good. Go get him, girl. Yeah. Or girls, these gals, man. 
So guess what? This king of Egypt, this pharaoh, he's, he's a little frustrated here. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <laughs> I mean, think about this. So really what they're saying is that uh, our gals don't live charmed lives like your gals. They're all charmed and everything, and our girls are tough. They pop out babies like it's nothing, okay? That's what he's saying. It's just like, are you kidding me? Having a baby? They're having a couple babies. Just like, no big deal. Because they work so hard. That's, what, that's really what they're saying here. Now, let me just say a little bit about this is that uh, as, a, as a medic firefighter with Phoenix Fire, I delivered six babies in the field along with my crew because those women were vigorous and gave birth before we could get them to the hospital. <laughs> and believe me, we tried to get them to the hospital, but it just didn't work, and they were vigorous gals, and they popped those babies out before we could get them there. There were some... Uh, born there in their home. Some were born uh, in the back end of the rescue and the ambulance. And then I'll never forget this one. One was born on, uh, in the elevator over at County Hospital, heading up to the third uh, story of labor and delivery. So she's in here, she's, uh, she's uh, struggling, we're saying, hang in there, we're almost there, we're almost there. Come on, you can do it. And then, oh, uh, we got a baby. We couldn't get up to the third floor fast enough. And then, I mean, so we come out in labor and delivery. We're holding a baby. Hey, help us. <laughs> and they're in there scrambling. So it's pretty interesting in reading this story. I can certainly, I understand that. That vigorous, they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife comes to them. Check this out, verse 20. This is beautiful. So God dealt well with the midwives so God dealt well with the midwives. Was God pleased with their, their action, with what they did, their fear of God? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, think about what this Pharaoh could have done to them. They're not intimidated by him. This guy, he's the king of the world. He could have taken them out. I mean, we're not afraid of you. We follow, we follow the true and living God. That's who we serve. And God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, there it is again, they feared God, they feared God, he gave them families. So that, I mean, so that's not even working. So here's Pharaoh and the Egyptians are doing everything they can to, to uh, oppress the people of God and to make it harder and harder and you see it increasing in intensity. And then the Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. And that's the end of chapter one. This is God's holy word to us. So, so, I mean, it just continues to increase with intensity, the oppression upon God's people. And so once again, here's the summary statement. God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. Therefore, believe, therefore, believe the promise keeper to keep hope alive. Let's, let's see how we can learn how to do that. So here's the first statement. God promises blessing. So we see that in our text, verses 7, 12, and 20. So these verses are the fulfillment of the promise of blessing God gave all humanity in Genesis 1:28. That's your next fill in the blank. So God is a God that blesses. So, so this is how it goes down in our life. Uh, God blesses us and then we obey him. We don't obey him to get his blessing. We have his blessing, therefore we obey him. And then when we obey him, guess what? We have more blessing. That's how it works. That's how it goes down. You don't obey him to get his blessing. He already established his blessing from the, from the get-go, right from the beginning. You see that in Genesis 1.28. The problem is, next point in your notes, humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion. That's Genesis 3. We thought God didn't love us. He was holding out on us. He didn't have our best uh, at heart. And so we thought we were smarter than him, and so we went our way apart from him. 
And so God chose Abraham's family to be a vehicle to restore his blessing to all the world. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. Question I'm often asked is that people will say, well, how did Old Testament people get saved? Did they get saved? Did they come into relationship with God? Well, they, they got saved the same way we get saved. It's by grace through faith in Christ. They look ahead, we look back to the cross. They look ahead to the cross, we look back to the cross. So if you want verification for that, you just gotta go to uh, Romans chapter four, Hebrews chapter 11, talks about Old Testament uh, people, believers, and it's all by faith. In fact, here's a verse, I'm not sure if I've got it on your notes, but it it is part of uh, chapter 15 of Genesis. Genesis 15 says this, and he, Abraham, by the way, Abraham is the father of our what, anybody? Our faith, yeah. Abraham is the father of our faith, and so it says that he believed the Lord, and then the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So our right standing with God, when the Bible says righteousness, it's just talking about being in right standing with God, it's having a relationship with God. Our our right standing with God does not come as a result of our works, it comes as a result of God's work in our behalf. So we are sinners saved by Christ's works, not our works. And so the same is true in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. The book's packed full of grace, and you're gonna see that in the book of, of Exodus. It's, it's quite spectacular, quite amazing, and so, for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, and that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, there's two components to God's blessing. There's lineage and land. So when you read through Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, this is what God promises them, is lineage and land. And so this is Old Testament. So immediately you gotta be thinking, okay, so they got lineage and land. What is it? Because part of that was due to the fact, remember in, in the 12th chapter, in fact, all of those chapters, 12, 15, and 17, chapter 15, he takes Abraham outside and says, look at the stars. How many are there? He says, well, so shall your offspring be. You're going to have a lot of offspring. You're going to have a lot of people. But the purpose of that is that through his offspring, through his lineage would come what? The Messiah. So it's through him would come the rescuer, the redeemer, the savior. And, uh, and so lineage and land, for us that would be fruitfulness and fulfillment in in for our lives, so this is what, what he's saying here as it relates to them, Old Testament. So this is Old Testament type for New Testament truth, Old Testament picture for New Testament principle. So fruitfulness for us would be raising kids that love God. Fruitfulness for us would be making an impact in the next generation for God. It'd be living your life fully devoted to God. As we talked about last week, the 5G process, we walk with God, we live his word, we contribute to his work through a local church family, we make an impact in this world through evangelism, sharing our faith, and we do all that for God's great worth. And uh, that would be fruitfulness, or fruitfulness would be that our lives are conformed more and more into the image of Christ. We begin to produce more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and the list goes on, that that would be produced in our lives. There's a fruitfulness to our lives. And then uh, what what is fulfillment? Well, that speaks of, of land the promised land, land of milk and honey, so milk represents strength and stamina. So even as I'm getting older, losing my physical strength and stamina in many ways, but internally and spiritually, I'm I'm experiencing a strength and stamina uh, that that goes beyond my wildest dreams in in so many ways as I continue to walk with him and experience him. So there's that, that milk, and then there's the honey, experience of our lives, which would be satisfaction and joy. And this would really go along with the, the, the creed that says, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And what is God's blessing to me that I would glorify him? That's fruitfulness, that I'd put him on display through my life. And then in doing that, I will enjoy him forever. There's that fulfillment it also goes along with John 10.10, 10, the theme verse here. Desert reads the second part of that verse. First part is the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the what? Anybody? Fullest, yeah. So speaking of not just a quantity of life, but also a quality of life. And so the quality of life of this blessing that he's talking about here is less about circumstances and more about character. 
It's more about our relationship with God. That's the blessing. And, uh, and we'll talk more about it in the, in, in the coming weeks as we walk this out in Exodus, but let's continue on. So God promises blessing in and through bitter times. That's the next section. So you got blessing and now you got bitter times. In and through bitter times. So the, the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing, and in fact, he views them as a threat to his power. So he tries to destroy Israel through brutally enslaving them to do hard labor. We see that in verses 10 and 11, 13 and 14, but that doesn't work because God is for them and not against them, and so then he orders that the Hebrew midwives murder the newborn sons, that's verses 15 and 16, but that doesn't work either so he orders all Israelite boys to be drowned in the Nile River. I mean, do you see the intensity of the oppression? So Pharaoh's wicked kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God, but not only that, it also is a picture of our adversary who wants to destroy God's people. 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be self-controlled and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's coming after you. You know that, don't you? You better get that in your head because if you're a Christian, you have a target on you. He's coming after you. I know you want 2018 to be the best year you've ever had, but he doesn't want that for you. He's gonna oppress you. He's coming after you. That's why the Bible says, be self-controlled and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill still and to destroy. Now, what's fascinating about this also is that Pharaoh has so re redefined good and evil according to his own interest. Sound familiar? That's our culture. We've redefined, redefined good and evil according to our own best interest. But Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interest that even the murder of innocent children is considered good. Does that sound familiar? The whole abortion industry is a reflection of that. Oh, it's inconvenient, just abort the baby. That's what we do here in our culture. So let me give you some, uh, some thoughts on this. So God promises blessing in and through bitter times. What does that mean as this oppression is increasing in intensity? Salvation is rescue. Next point in your notes. Salvation is rescue from the misery and slavery of serving anything in your life is more important than God. And that's the picture, I think, that we get from this. Though they, did, you know, they didn't bring this onto themselves, but this is a picture of our, uh, our BC days, our days before Christ, and this is what our lives look like. We're enslaved and verse 14 makes that clear, as I pointed out, the redundancy of Israel's enslavement. The Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, in all kinds of work, in the field, in all of their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And so thus, really the key verses for this whole book, Exodus 6, 7, and 8, he draws us out of slavery to draw us into intimacy with him. Now, this is what you not need to keep in mind. You serve anything, you love anything or anyone more than God, you're a slave. You are only free if you serve God. Moses to Pharaoh, seven times in this book, you're going to hear him say, let my people go so that they can serve me, so that they can worship me. Seven times. Exodus starts in slavery and ends in service and worship because that's the cure to our slavery. It's always service to God and worship of God. The second half of Exodus is instruction on worship. The first half is, is just them being set from their enslavements. Salvation is liberation. This is what I want you to do. Turn to the folks sitting around you and ask them this question. Uh, because when we talk about um, freedom in our culture today, most Americans think they know what freedom is, but I don't think they do. So how would most Americans define freedom? What, what is true freedom? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you.
Okay, so what are you guys thinking as it relates to uh, freedom? What, is the, what does our culture say freedom is? Is it uh, doing whatever you want to do? Is that what most of you are thinking about? Yeah, that's our culture. Our culture thinks that it's pretty much you can do whatever you want to do. It's having no master at all, living as you please, follow your heart, be true to yourself. Listen to me, that leads to bondage. You didn't create yourself, so you can't come up with why you are here, okay? You can't make that up somehow and go by your heart. First of all, the Bible says our hearts are, de- are deceitfully wicked. Our hearts will lead us astray. We have all sorts of problems living in a fallen world as fallen people. We come up with some pretty crazy stuff, okay? So what we need to do is we need to get back to the owner's manual. We need to get back to our owner, God. He's only he can tell us what we're created for. We can't come up with this stuff. Look at the, the problems we have as a result of that in our culture today. So our modern definition of freedom is having no master at all, living as we please. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Listen to me. You were designed, you were created to know, serve, obey, enjoy, love God supremely. And when you are faithful to that design, that's when you're going to flourish. That's when you're going to flourish regardless of your circumstances. That's, that's, That's pretty amazing. Until you are entranced, enchanted, enraptured by the beauty and the glory and the presence of God, you aren't free. You're chasing something. You're pursuing something. Unless he is the most important thing in your life, you're a slave. Anything you center your life on more than God makes you a slave. Everyone lives for something. Everyone says this about something or someone. If I have that... I have significance, I have security, I, I'm a, I, I matter, my life makes a difference. I have substance to my life. Everybody has to live for something. When you don't have something to live for, you just load up on drugs, you medicate yourself or you put a bullet in your head. That's what people do when they have no hope. Because we need hope, we need a sense of purpose. And I'm telling you that if you try to make your purpose something in creation over the creator, it's a matter of time. It's going to let you down. And then you're going to find yourself medicating yourself in some way, whatever it might be. You're going to be chasing something. You're enslaved apart from God and knowing him. Everyone lives for something. Everyone, you're saying that. I mean, whether you realize it or not, deep in your heart, You can be a Christian and still be saying that about things in your life. It can be about romance. It can be about money. It can be about a job. Anything you can't live without will enslave you. Crisis happens when something that we are trusting in more than God is threatened, blocked, or lost, creating almost these inconsolable emotions. What are you building your life on? I can tell you what you're building your life on. Look at your inconsolable emotions. When those things that you're building your life on are are threatened or blocked or lost because it becomes overwhelming to you because you can't live without those things. Living a God-centered life will make your life unshakable. It'll make your life unbreakable. We talked about that last weekend. If you weren't here and you didn't listen to the message, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that one. It was titled Unbreakable 2018. Here's the next point. God will allow the misery of our enslavement to become so dire that we are desperate for him. And that's what you see in this book. Their enslavement is gonna become so dire that they're gonna, they're gonna be desperate for him. And you're thinking, wait a minute, they didn't, they didn't create this and they didn't bring this onto themselves. And yet what's fascinating about this, and you can tell that they're still enslaved, because even when he sets them free, they're constantly wanting to go back to their enslavement. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you've ever read through the book of Exodus and when they're in their wanderings and God's providing for them, taking care of them, God's leading them, God's presence is with them in an amazing way and yet they're still whining and wondering, man, I wish we were back in Egypt. Because we all do that. We all struggle with that. And yet God lets our, our enslavement become so dire that we're desperate for him. Uh, Psalm 16, 4, I gave you a number of verses there. You're going to need to dig a little deeper and study on your own throughout the week with a lot of these cross-references along with the growing notes and maybe even with a small group. We've got many small groups that, that go through the growing notes. But one of the verses there, Psalm 16, 4, uh, A, it's the first part of that verse. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. So listen to me. 
anything you love, anything you serve, anything you obey more than God will control you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it, and devastate you when you lose it. Because your heart, your heart was made for God and him alone more than anything. Now, what's interesting is that we are prepared for salvation by God working by God working behind the scenes in bad and difficult circumstances. So what he's doing here is that he's gonna allow the misery of our enslavement to become so dire that we are desperate for him, that we begin to cry out to him. And it, it, it takes a little while through this intensity, and you can see in this first chapter the intensity level of this oppression continues to, to pick up pace. And uh, so we are prepared for salvation by God working behind the scenes in, in bad and difficult circumstances. And what's fascinating about this is that God is not mentioned in the first two chapters except to give families to these midwives in chapter one. And then chapter two, towards the end of the chapter, you, you, he hears the groaning of his people. That's what it says. He hears their groaning. But you don't actually see God's hand anywhere in these circumstances as the oppression intensifies in their lives. And you're thinking, wait, 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 wait. This is God's people. You would think, you would think as God's people that the intensity of their circumstances would begin to decrease. But they're not. They're increasing. They're increasing substantially. Where's God in all of this? And so what we'll see in this story is that for the Israelites, it gets worse and worse. Maybe that's what's happening to you. You're thinking, wait a minute, I, I, I started going back to church because it was getting pretty, pretty difficult. And now that I've gone back to church, it's, it's getting worse. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. There's no guarantee that it's going to get any easier. It's, it's getting worse for them. And so for the Israelites, it gets worse and worse. In fact, we're going to see Moses uh, in the next chapter, and it's going to get worse and worse for Moses. In fact, he's going to be put on the backside of the desert for 40 years. What's that about? But God uses these circumstances to prepare them for his salvation. It's almost as if the narrator is conveying the, the natural human response when things get worse and worse and God seems to be absent. God must be uncaring, unwise, or incapable because you see that as you head towards the end of chapter two because they're crying out, God, where are you? This doesn't make any sense. I thought we were your children, and the, and the oppression is just in, increasing in intensity, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. What, what's going on here? I'm kind of curious here, by show of hands, how many have ever felt like God is uncaring, unwise, and incapable as you looked at your circumstances, or you just, whatever you're going through, there was a time in your life where you go, oh my goodness, this is inconsistent with who I know you to be, God. Show of hands, show of hands. Yeah, I'm right there with you. They are right there with us or we're with them, because that's what they're going through. You're, you're thinking, my goodness, it's getting worse. This is inconsistent with the fact that, God, you're perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, unlimited in your power, you're in control. It doesn't seem like you're in control. Whether we can see it or not, God is working for our good and his glory. Whether you can see it or not, God is working for your good and his glory. Our brains don't have the capacity to see this. Arrogance says, I can't see any good reason, therefore there must not be a good reason. That's arrogance. And in fact, inordinate worry and bitterness are signs that I'm not trusting his loving, wise control of my life. I've been grappling with this for a little while because, man, I'm like right there with you. Sometimes there's things that have happened in my life and I'm, I'm the dude that gets up here and preaches this stuff week in and week out. I mean, I, I study like crazy. And man, sometimes I'm just like knocked sideways. And I think it's God's con consistently dealing with my, I'm a control freak. I'm like trying to control everything. Yeah. I'm going to work the magic formula here and you can be successful like me. No, you can't. I'm a mess just like you. And you're a mess like me. And the best place to be is really weak because when we're weak, that's when he's strong on our behalf. And that's the essence of the Christian life. What's the biggest book in the Bible? What's the biggest book in the Bible? Anybody? Psalms. How many chapters? 150. And guess what? I love that because it's, a, it's raw with emotion. The psalmist pouring out their hearts to God, their, their doubt, their fear, their feelings. Whoa! I love it. I need it. And then you see God meeting them, 
meeting them right where they are. How many times I've cried out to God, help me, help me to understand this. I don't know what's going on. So here's what I do as I grapple with these issues as much as you do. This, is, this I know, this I know. Regardless of what it looks like, and some of you have gone through some horrendous things in 2017, and who knows what 2018 holds for us. I don't know what God has in store. But whatever he has in store, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God is working passionately, purposefully, and powerfully in the most difficult of circumstances in your life, doing a thousand things that you can't see with your finite mind and eyes. And he's doing that for your good and his glory. In fact, it tells us in Psalm 139, I love it. I don't always believe it. I want to live in the reality of it. But Psalm 139 basically says that, that we have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action working for our good and his glory. And we're going to talk more about this next week. It's really talking about the providential hand of God. And it's, 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 quite, it's quite baffling. It's, it's really hard as we, as we work through this. But, and I shared this uh, last night, and I shared this in uh, a sermon, sermon this morning, the first service. But we've got to live, you've got to live your life based on what God has revealed, not what you feel. And the Illustration that I've used many times, pilots, we have a number of pilots that attend here at Desert Breeze, but pilots who fly into storms must follow their instruments even when they contradict their feelings, even when their, their feelings are, seem to be contradicting their instruments, and if they, if they don't follow their instruments and they try to follow their feelings, they're going to inevitably crash. You're going to inevitably crash if you go by your feelings, if you go by sight. That's why the Bible tells us over and over again, we live by faith and not by what? We don't live by sight. We don't live by our feelings. So here's what I do. I always, when I'm struggling, and I have those nights where I'm tossing and turning, I always go back to his word. I always go back to what is revealed. I bury myself in it. I take verses and I allow him to speak to me and I hang on to those verses. I cling to him during those times. And he, he reveals, he revealed this to us to show us, yes, I'm still working. Yes, you're still my people. I'm working this for your good and my glory. You can trust my loving, wise control of your circumstances. But not only do I come back to his word, the instrument panel, flying through a storm, I feel like it's all chaotic, I go back to the instrument panel, but I also go back to the cross. Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Listen, listen to me. If he didn't spare his son, he's got you covered. If he took care of your worst problem, your alienation from him, and he's reconciled you now to himself, He's got all your other circumstances taken care of. So that's what I keep coming back to. Okay, okay, enough said. I mean, that's, that's, we're gonna talk more about it here in the coming weeks. Suffering is inevitable in a fallen world and it can either make you bitter or better. You can't let it make you bitter. It's gotta make you better. It's gotta draw your heart closer to Christ. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. So God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. So what does that mean, in and through bitter times? Well, a verse that came to mind for me was Psalm 23. Anybody know what Psalm 23 is all about? Is that a good psalm? How many have memorized Psalm 23? The Lord is my, I shall not, yes, but I'm not always there because I want a lot of things especially when I'm going through negative circumstances. I want my circumstances to change. But he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. If the Lord's your shepherd, you're not going to want anything. There's perfect contentment in Christ. Now, what's fascinating about that is that in verse 5, this is what stood out to me. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What's that about? A table? That sounds like feasting. That sounds like nourishment. That sounds good. Before my enemies? that in bitter times you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies the darker the oppression comes into my life the more people persecute or try to intimidate me 
the more I can feast on him and enjoy him. There is a quality of life in Christ that all the suffering in this world can't take from us. There's almost this satisfaction. Let me tell you this. And I've had, I've had too much, more than I'd like to admit lately. Man, I've just had some nights where I've been tossing and turning a lot. And some of the most difficult nights that I've had, some of the most difficult times in my life, I've been doing this for a lot of years, those have been the sweetest times. Just this last week, I just, I tossed and turned. There was something I was just troubled over. I was just working through in my own life. Oh my goodness, the sweetness. The sweetness of, almost like a feast in the presence of my enemies. My enemies are coming after me and yet he's allowing me to feast on him and to know him, to experience him in bitter times, but also through bitter times. Romans 5, 1 through 5, I won't read that whole thing for you because there's, there's too much, but man, it's, it's powerful because he talks about intimacy with God at the front end of that, how we can have relationship with him. But then in verse, uh, he says in verse, I think it's verse 3, so he talks about the glory that we have in knowing him, but he says, but, but not, only, not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings. Woohoo! yeah, I love suffering. When was the last time you said that? Not only that, we rejoice in suffering. Oh, we have intimacy with God and it's really good and he's revealing his glory to us. Oh, and yes, by the way, we rejoice in suffering. I don't know too many people that do that. And yet that's what he's saying that we will be able to experience. He says not only that, but we rejoice in suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So listen to me. Suffering is gonna bring to you a maturity and an intimacy with God that otherwise you will never, ever, ever experience. That's what it's saying. So suffering is inevitable in a fallen world and it can either make you or break you. The choice is yours. God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. So God promises blessing to his children in and through bitter times. Therefore, believe the promise keeper to keep hope alive. We're almost there, almost finished. So the Hebrew wives, midwives, Shipra and Pua teach us this, verse 17, but the midwives feared God I love that, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Verse 20 and 21, so God dealt well with the midwives. And then in verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So to believe the promised keeper, that is God, means not just having a relationship with God, but it's, it's also fearing God. It's, it's having a high view of God. I think that's, that's one of our problems in America today with a lot of people. This is what I struggle with. That's why I wanted to go through the book of Exodus, because I want you to have a high view of God. Our worship rises or falls with our concept of God. The deeper the theology, the higher the doxology. Doxology just means worship. Wow, it's wow and mmm, wow and mmm. God, you're satisfying. Wow, you're beyond my wildest dreams. But that can only go high to the depth of your theology. So the deeper the theology, the higher the doxology, the healthier the soul-satisfying, life-liberating psychology. That's what, that's what we need. We just have a small view of God. That's why we're overwhelmed by the, the trials of life and we're overtaken by the, the temptations of life because we have a small view of God. That's why I love what it says here that the 17th century, 17th century Puritan William Gurnall put it well when he wrote, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. I also love what David Wells says in, in God in the Wasteland. He says, the fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests so inconsequentially upon the church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy, and his Christ is too common. Now listen to me. If you fear God, as these midwives did, if you fear God, you will fear nothing or no one. The reason why we're overwhelmed by life is because we don't fear God. So man, we need a big view of God. We need a high view of God. Exodus is gonna give us that. I need that, you need that. 
So what does it mean to fear God? The fear of, of the Lord is to obey all that he says, accept all that he sins, and enjoy all that he is more than anything or anyone in the world. Let me walk you through that. Verse 17, you see the, the, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. So they obey all that God says. That's what it means to fear God, to obey all that he says. And then it means to accept all that he sins. I mean, it's getting worse and worse for, for God's people and these midwives. And they're, they're, just, they're, they're almost like they're accepting, okay, this is what you have for us, God. Help us to stay strong. And they're able to stay strong because they are enjoying all that he is more than anything or anyone in this world. Intimacy with God is an enchanted reality in a disenchanted world. And I gave you some verses to kind of help you walk through that. It's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. And it is motivated, here's your next couple fill in the blanks. It is motivated not out of dread of punishment but the delight of awe and wonder, not wanting to grieve or dishonor the one who has done so much for us. So it is motivated not out of dread of punishment, but the delight of awe and wonder, not wanting to grieve or dishonor the one who has done so much for us. So this Pharaoh, this is what's so fascinating about the story, and this is when I came across this, I just, I just celebrated, I, I loved the reality of it because it reveals a little bit of our, the heart of our father towards us, but the Pharaoh is the most powerful man on earth and he doesn't even have a name in the book of Exodus. He's just known as Pharaoh, that's not his name by the way, you knew that. And, and people have speculated what Pharaoh or who Pharaoh this is, but he's just Pharaoh. And yet the two midwives, Shipra and Pua, have names that will be known for all of history. Isn't that cool? I love it. God's going to use this Pharaoh like a pawn for his purposes and plan in history, for the good of Shipra and Pua, his people, and for his glory. It's, it's just giving us a glimpse into this, this whole, you think this guy's in control? He's not in control. I'm in control. I'm not even going to put his name in the book. He's a no-name to me. You guys mean everything to me. Do you think these gals had an intimate relationship with God? You know they did. Do they know the true and living God? Yes. Does the true and living God know them and he's gonna take care of them? Yes, no doubt. Last point. So therefore we can do that because we are convinced that the creator and sustainer of the universe knows, cares, and rules all the details of your life for your good and his glory. And you're gonna to have to come back next week for us to explain that and explore that because that's chapter two of Exodus and this is just the beginning of a great uh, story as we work our way through the book of Exodus. Romans 8:28. for we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but let me just share my heart with you. Uh, my wife and I, uh, as we head, headed into uh, 2018, the first week into 2018, rough start for us. And... Um, I'll just, there's a many, many things that we've kind of been working through in our own lives. Nothing that God can't handle as we continue to depend on him, but I'll share just one of those things that was a gut punch here at the beginning of this year. My sister-in-law's nephew, our sister-in-law's nephew, who's a 23-year-old uh, male, he died from an accidental self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head at the beginning of this week. I'll be doing his memorial service uh, in a week. You don't survive something like that unless you have a high view of God. You don't go through that kind of trauma unless you know the living, true God. And so, as I was grappling with a number of things this last week, it was almost as if God... It was almost as if God was in the room with me, which he is, but it was almost like, man, it was more vivid and, and more powerful than ever. And he spoke to me this, this verse this last week, Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. That is, we won't be visited by harm. I mean, you're thinking, wait a minute, the Israelites are being visited by harm, and I'm feeling like I'm being visited by harm. That's not what that means. It, it, this is what it means. Those who fear God find him satisfying. No amount of trouble can overthrow their security, significance, and satisfaction in him when they build their life on him and not on anything else. Bitter times can take anything away from you except God. 
Trusting God in bitter times is a spiritual skill that can be learned only, only in bitter times. And so that's what we're gonna learn as we work our way through the book of Exodus. Then we're gonna see him bring us out of enslavement so that he can bring us in to intimacy with him. Let's pray. So Father God, help us. Help us to see that when our greatest fear and ultimate hope is in your loving, wise plan, then there's nothing that can overthrow us. How foolish of us to think that our plans for our lives, our plans for our lives are smarter and more loving than yours. We praise you. We praise you that you promise blessing to us, your children, in and through bitter times. Therefore, help us to believe, to trust, to obey, to enjoy, to love, serve you, our promise keeper, to keep our hope alive in 2018. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.